Have you ever had something in your life that you knew that you were supposed to do? So, something that was really important to you, but life happens, and you just keep putting it off and putting it off until one day it's too late. So I, uh, I had this uh, group of friends that I, uh, I grew up with, and uh, they were you know, really close and, and involved in my life during, during my childhood. And I ran into one, one of them uh, friend's sister here uh, a while back, and, and she told me that, uh, that he was really, really sick. He, he had really made some, some just really bad choices in his life, and uh, it had caused him some, some sickness, and he had cirrhosis of the liver. And she, um, she said, Pete, she said, it, it's, it's not good. It's really not good, and he's probably not going to be here for very long. And, and so I, I said, okay, I've got to go see him. I, I've, got to, I've got to talk to him. And, and so it, it wasn't like he lived like really close or he wasn't like on my daily route or my daily routine. So I was going to have to go out of my way a little bit. And, and each time that I meant to go see him, something happened. There, there was always, you know, a fire that, that had to be put out. And, and so I, I kept putting it off and putting it off. And then finally, one day I said, I'm going to see him. I, I am going, I don't care what happens today, I am going to go see him. And so I did. And when I pulled up uh, in his driveway, uh, his wife was sitting on the front porch. And when I got out of the car, I saw her, you know, she was obviously uh, crying. She was, you know, uh, uh, obviously things weren't well. And when I walked up to the front porch, she said, Pete, uh, it's too late. It's too late. There, there's things in, in our life. There's, there's amends that we need to make. There, there's people that we need to forgive. There's things that we need to do that it's so important. We don't need to put them off till tomorrow. We don't need to wait on daylight to come. I, uh, I'm very fortunate to to live in a place that, that I live and, and where I live. And, and I, I, I love the outdoors. And, and from my home, I can see the, uh, the Smoky Mountains. And I, I see all the, the high peaks of the mountains. And, and I love to hike. You know, there's been so many times that, that God has just really uh, revealed things to me and spoke to me you know, out, in, out in the wilderness. And, and I thought, you know, I want to hike those mountains. And, and so I, I devised a plan. I, I set out before I got so old that I couldn't uh, hike some of those places. And some of those hikes are, are relatively easy hikes, okay? I mean, you, you drive up in a car and like Cleveland's Dome. I mean, it's a, it's a high, highest elevation in the Smokies. And, and you drive, you hike up to the top. And, and it, it doesn't take, you know, a, a whole day or anything like that. It, it's a relatively, you know, easy hike. But some of those hikes are, are really tough hikes. Uh, Mount LeConte, for example. LeConte, 10 miles is the shortest trail up and down LeConte, okay? 10 miles. And, and, and it's a pretty steep hike. And, and if your knees are kind of getting, you know, bad like mine are, you know, when, when you're carrying a bag, backpack, it, it's kind of it's tough. But then some of, those, some of those high peaks, like Thunderhead, it's, it's a lot further, okay? It's, it's, it's a minimum for, for me for two days, you know, to get to Thunderhead and back. 
And, and Mount Gio, it's at least, at least that. And, and so some of these hikes is going to take a lot of effort, a lot of time. And, and I just kept thinking over and over again, if I don't do this now, then there's going to come a time when I'm not going to be able to. And so a few years ago, I set out and I planned, and, and I did those hikes. And, and now, you know, as I look out over those mountains, I don't have that, that regret. I, I don't have that regret of, of saying, man, you know, I should have done that while I could. Now I can, I can bring my grandchildren up, you know, and set them on my knee and say, you see that mountain right there? Your pappy climbed that mountain. People that spend the end of life with, with people, pastors and, and counselors and p people that, that are, are there, you know, when people pass. They, they talk a lot about uh, things that, that they wish that they have done. They, they don't talk about the things so much that, that they did that they regret doing. Their big regret is the things that they didn't do, the things that they knew that they should have done. And there comes this point when there's no more waiting till tomorrow. There's no more waiting for daylight. There's a, uh, a passage of Scripture. It's uh, found in 2 Kings. I know it's kind of a, I'm, I'm kind of a New Testament guy, right? And it's kind of, kind of weird for me to, to read from the Old Testament. But, but this story is something I think is, uh, is huge. Uh, it's relevant for us today to, to be able to, to reflect on and, and to read. So 2 Kings, uh, 7th chapter, starting with verse 3 through 16. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here till we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Armenians and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, we die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Armenians. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there, for the Lord had caused the Armenians to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite, and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp. They entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, We're not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, we went into the Armenian camp, and not a man was there, not a sound of anyone, only tattered horses and donkeys, and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted the news 
and it was reported within the palace. The king got up in the night and said to his officers, I tell you what the Armenians have done to us. They know we're starving, so they have left the camp to hide in the countryside, thinking they will surely come out, and then we will take them alive and get them into the city. One of the officers answered, Have some men take five of the horses that are left in the city. Their plight will be like that of all Israelites left here. Yes, they will only be like all those Israelites who are doomed. So let us send them to find out what happened. So they selected two chariots with their horses, and the king sent them after the Armenian army. He commanded the drivers to go and find out what has happened. They followed them as far as the Jordan and found that the whole road was strewn with clothing and equipment the Armenians had thrown away in their headlong flight. So the messengers returned and reported to the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Armenians. So a shea of flour sold for a shekel and two shays of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord had said. Let's pray. God, again, we, uh, we come to you, Lord. Uh, we, we need you, God. Uh, help us to be able to uh, just uh, stop for a moment and, and just listen to, to what your word's saying to us, God. To, to just be able to understand, God, what it is that uh, you require of us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So you have these four lepers. Uh, leprosy is a disease that we don't hear a lot about today. Uh, back in ancient days, leprosy, it would have been a death sentence. And, and you see that, that the city is under siege. That, that there's an enemy camp outside the walls of the city. And, and if the people, you know, go outside the walls, then, then they're going to be under attack. And, and so the, the enemy has just surrounded the place, and they're just waiting on the people to starve and surrender. And so you have four lepers, four desperate men. Uh, leprosy, like I said, would have been a death sentence, but to have leprosy in time of a famine would have been awful, okay? I mean, just think about it, okay? People know you're going to die. Okay, they know that, that all right, it's, it's happening, okay? Then why would they sacrifice food and water for someone that was already going to die? And, and so to have leprosy would be bad enough, but to have it in the time of a famine, this would have been just awful. And you have these four men, these four men that are just completely desperate, they're saying to, uh, you know, amongst themselves, you know, well, if we stay here, we're going to die. If we go in there, we're going to die. Let's go over to the camp of the enemy. Okay? Maybe if we surrender to them, maybe they will spare us. But if not, at least we're going to die quickly. And so many times, so many times, we see people that look brave. Okay, they, you think that they're brave, but they're really just acting out of desperation. So for, for several years, uh, my wife and I, we served uh, Lost Sheep Ministries. It was a, a ministry that, that served under the bridge in, in Knoxville. Every Wednesday, 
uh, we would go down under the bridge and we would minister to the homeless people, the homeless population there. And, and some nights there would be literally hundreds of people, you know, that would come out. Uh, we would provide them with some food. Uh, they would get a, a hot meal. They would get clothing. Uh, they had like health and beauty products. They had prayer tables. Sometimes there would be different uh, health organizations that would come in and do screenings, do health screenings. And we did this for years. And, and this place, it wasn't a, um, I mean, it, it could be a real dangerous place. We saw again and again where there were a lot of fighting. A lot of people were assaulted. There was actually a, a couple of people that were actually killed uh, in fights down there. And, and, and this was like all happening, you know, in one area at one time. And so after going down there for several years, I, uh, I, I began to, to kind of um, be real careful and real cautious about being there. And one night, it was a winter night. This was like in January, and it was cold. I mean, it was so cold. The, it was snowing, and, and the wind was blowing so hard. It was blowing snow actually under the bridge. We had finished, you know, we had uh, helped them, you know, clean up and, and put up. And then Beth and I are going over to, to Fort Sanders Hospital to, to visit some friends there. And, and I'm going these little back alleyways, you know, kind of winding my way through. And, and I come to this one area, and, and this area was notorious for what they had, uh, what they called homeless camps. A lot of, lot of homeless population there. And, and as I'm, I'm going down this little alley road, I see something on the side of the road here. And this, this really looks like somebody, okay? It looks like a person is just laying on the side of the road, and, and from their knees down is just stretched out into the, into the road there. And my first thought, I was kind of like the king here in the story that I just read, okay? I'm thinking, this is an ambush, Okay? Somebody's laying out on the side of the road. There's, there's this thicket up here with all these little trees and shrubs. And, and there's, there's some people hiding in that thicket. And, and when someone stops, they're going to jump out and they're going to get them. Right? This, this is what I've got in my mind. Right? So, so I'm going to just kind of pull around, you know, just kind of swerve over a little bit and, and go on past this person laying on the side of the road. And about the time I get up, you know, right beside of them, I hear this loud scream, Stop! It was my wife. Now, my wife is the bravest person I know. And I mean that. I've seen her go into uh, car accidents that, that we actually witnessed happen with, I mean, blood squirting everywhere, bones sticking through people's skin, you know, and she goes right in and just rolls up her sleeves and starts working on them, right, I mean, right then. You know, I've seen her uh, after a UT ball game. I see uh, this lady had fallen, I mean, literally fallen. I think she had a little too much fun, you know, at the ball game. But anyway, she fell and literally split her head wide open. And I saw my wife demand this man there to take his shirt off so she could stop the bleeding of this lady, okay? I mean, he's like, give me your shirt. And he's like, what? Now, give me your shirt, okay? She just, I mean, she just acts this way. And when she said stop, I'm like, oh, no. She saw them. Oh, no. 
I, I, so I, I stopped, and now I'm, my plan is, okay, let's sit here for just a minute, let's look around, and let's see if anyone's hiding in the woods here that's going to come out and attack us. No. The door comes open, she jumps out, you know, and sure enough, this guy, he's laying on the side of the road, there's two empty bottles of vodka laying right beside of him, and, and he's passed out. Well, <laughs> that might have been all right in the middle of the summer, but we're in the middle of a snowstorm, and, and he's laying on the side of the road. Well, I call 911, and the emergency responders, they had a really hard time finding us. They're, they're driving. I mean, we can see the ambulance. I'm on the phone with dispatch. I'm like, look, we're one street over, you know, and they drive around and around and around, and they can't find us. And so we've been there for half hour, and finally my wife says, put him in the car. What? Put him in the car. You want me, and this, this gentleman happened to be a Native American, okay? You want me to put a drunk Indian in the back seat of my car? Are you serious? Yes, we're taking him to the hospital. I'm like, oh my goodness, you know. I mean, we put him in the back seat of the car. We're driving over to the hospital, and there is the, the ambulance and the police officer, right? So I'm like, hey, let's pull in here. When I pulled in, the I got out of the car, and I went over, and I said, hey, you know, we're the ones that was calling, you know, 911. We've got this guy in the back seat of the car over here. He passed out over here on the side of the road. And the EMT, the paramedic, he went off. He's like, you did what? You loaded a man up, you know, and put him in your car. You, you can't do that. Listen, don't you ever do that. And the police officer come over, and he kind of like, well, you know, I understand what you're trying to do, sir, but but you need to be real careful with situations like this. See, they thought I was brave, okay? They thought I was brave. I wasn't brave. I was desperate, okay? If something happened to her, I don't know what I would do, okay? I don't think there's anybody else in this world that's going to take care of me like she does, okay? So I wasn't acting out of bravery. I was acting out of desperation, okay? I am not about to let something happen to my wife here. And so many times in our lives, it, it appears that we're doing something that we're brave. But really, at the core, we're just desperate. We're just desperate people. And so these four lepers, they get up and they go. They, they sur they're going to surrender to these, to these Armenians. And, and it's so much, you know, that happens here. There's so much that's going on once they surrendered. For us, when we, come to, when we come to Christ, you know, when we come to this place of trusting in Him, and, and we surrender to Him, then that's when we can see some inner divi I mean, divine intervention that's when we see things that's happening you know once we've surrendered our lives to him see god intervened with these four lepers these four desperate men you know once they got up and they started to move in that direction then god caused this this great 
great noise. I mean, just think about it for a minute, okay? These guys were, these were warriors, okay? The, these were fighting men. And for them to just, just get up and run, okay? How scared do you have to be? How scared do you have to be to leave your horses? Okay, I, I'm not going to take the time to get a horse here. I'm running as hard as I can, as fast as I can to get away from whatever it is that God has done here. These four lepers, they, they didn't make that noise, okay? They didn't make the sounds of, of the armies and the chariots. That was something that God did. The only thing they did was move in that direction. And I believe so many times that's really what God requires of us. He, he requires for us to come to this place where we trust him enough, where we trust him enough that we don't always have it figured out. But if we'll just move in the direction that he's calling us to, if we'll just be obedient to him and surrender to him, then he will do things that we can't do. The fifth principle in, uh, in the steps to recovery, the fifth principle is about letting God do in us what we can't do on our own. And that's what, that's what these four lepers, these four desperate men have done. They, they get up and they move in that direction. And God, God has done a mighty work for them that they couldn't do. They get to this camp. It's pretty cool, right? They get to this camp, and, and they're expecting really, I mean, most likely they're going to die, okay? And when they get to the camp, they find it abandoned. No one is there. Everyone is gone. And, and you've got these four men that are desperate, hungry, and they find all these resources. They find food. They find drink. They find gold. They find silver. And, and, and they start to, to indulge. They start to, to eat and drink. And they, and they grab some gold and they grab some silver and they go off and they hide it. And then they come back and they're doing it again. There's this, uh, this term that, uh, that uh, psychologists call, it's called uh, limited resource mentality. Limited resource mentality. And, and what, it, what, he, what they say is, if we have gone through a period in our lives where we have been in need or we have been without, then, then that kind of sticks with us. And, and when we come to a place where we have, you know, plenty, then sometimes we really act like we don't have. And, and, and we will begin to, to really, you know, hoard things up for ourselves. And, and the, the term limited resource mentality, it, it's, it is real, okay? Um, it's borderline hoarding. And, and most of the people that, that know me know that I'm a borderline hoarder, okay? I get it. I get it. I, I grew up in a home. My grandparents, you know, had a, had a huge, huge part in my, uh, my upbringing, and uh, they, uh, I can still, to this day, hear my grandmother's voice in my head. 
she'll say, you better not throw that away. You might need it someday. And I still hear that in there. And, and the problem is that you just keep collecting and collecting and collecting the junk. And the day that you need it, guess what? You can't find it. Okay? It's got so much piled up, you, you can't find nothing, actually. And so this limited resource mentality, this is something that is really real. And, and these four lepers, you know, they realize, you know, what they're doing is not right. That what they're doing, you know, is wrong. That, that there's all these people, you know, back in the city, and, and they have these huge, huge needs. These people are dying. They're dying. And, and they have the ability, you know, to, to share what they found and, and to bring life, you know, back to this dying city. And so these lepers, what do they say? They say, what we're doing is not right. That there's something that's just fundamentally wrong with us, you know, having so much. And knowing that there's so many needs out there that so many people, you know, are without. We need to go and we don't need to put it off again. What was it he said? He said, there's no more waiting till daylight. That we need to go now. And these four lepers, these four people that were cast out of the city. They go back to the people that rejected them, that cast them out. They go back and, and they, you know, what, they're not even allowed in the city. They have, to, they have to yell into the city and say, hey, the Armenian camp is, is empty and there's all these goods there. There's all these resources there. The Armenians are gone. And they yell into the palace. And you've got four lepers giving instructions for life to a king. That's really a lot of how the kingdom works, isn't it? It's kind of upside down, isn't it? The way Jesus put it, y'all, uh, to, to be less is what? Is more in his kingdom. And you've got these four lepers that are that are desperate hopeless helpless men all of a sudden they're bringing life to people that rejected them so a few years ago i was uh i was a part of uh, a ministry going in into the jail and uh there was some, some guys, we were doing recovery classes inside the jail. And there was, a, uh, there was this one guy that, that came to me, and he said, uh, he said, I want help. I want help. And this, uh, this young man uh, was introduced, okay, he was introduced to drugs at 14, okay? And his introduction to drugs was his mother injecting morphine into his veins. What does that do to someone? What, what does that do to a person? 
You know, the person that, that is entrusted to, to care and nurture you and, and to love you the most is a person, you know, that, that injects you, you know, with drugs. And so, needless to say, this young man was a, he was a mess. He's about 24 years old now. He had, um, he had been incarcerated either in, in jail or in prison all but six months of his adult life. So, so for six months, out of, out of the six years that he had been an adult, what we, you know, in our society considers adult, for six months, he had been outside the walls of a jail or a prison. He did not know how to live. And he, he came to us and he's like, look, I need help. I need help. He said, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a drug addict. He said, I'm, I'm struggling. He said, I, I know that if, I, if I'm released when I get out, he said, I know I'll be right back to the same things, you know, people and places that, I've, that I came from. And he said, will you help me? And it's just not that simple, okay? I mean, he, he's, he's in jail, okay? He, he's, he's been arrested for a crime here, okay? And, and so there's a process, there's a legal process, that, that you have to go through that, that takes place here. And so we talked to uh, uh, Helen Ross McNabb, and we got a, an assessment, a drug and alcohol mental health assessment on him. Uh, we talked to his attorney, and we got him on the docket to go back before the court to see if we could somehow find this young man some help. And, and the day that, that he's you know, goes back to court, I go to the courtroom, and I'm, I'm sitting in the courtroom, and, and I see this young man come in, and he's, of course, he's, you know, wearing stripes, and he's in shackles and chains, and he walks up to the, to the podium, his, his public defender comes up beside of him, and they start to, his case back before the, the judge, and, and the, the district attorney's office, you know, I, I, uh, I have all the respect in the world for our, our district attorney's office, and, and they, uh, they do, you know, a really good job of, of keeping, you know, our communities safe. And the district attorney, you know, they, he had some major objections, you know, about, you know, releasing this young man into a program. And, and so he, he starts to plead his case, and then the public defender... You know, this, this young man's public defender, you know, they start to plead the case back and some of the things that he's done. And, and then the judge calls us up. And I go up and, and I stand, you know, and I talk about the things that this young man's doing, you know, in classes, in, in the jail. And, and then they call for the, the jail administrator to come over and and as I'm sitting in that courtroom and I'm seeing this it's like the scales of justice okay the scales of justice come to my mind and and I I see you know him standing there alone and I see the state's case against him and man it was way out of balance it was way out of balance and and then I see his public defender get on those scales and those scales start to move a little and then we go up and they start to move a little and then the jail administrator goes up and they start to move a lot and 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 it's sitting in that courtroom 
God really spoke to me. And what he was saying was, the things that you have, the, the privilege that you have, the wealth that you have, you know, was just not meant for you. It was meant for those that were without, the least of those. And when, when Jesus is talking to his, his disciples and he's telling them, he said, well, you know, when I was sick, you, you came to see me, you know. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. And, and they're like, when did we do all this to you? And he said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. There's something, there's something in your life that, that either brings great joy to your life or it just really makes you mad. But there's something in your life that, that God has been, you know, pressing on you. He's been calling you into. And maybe it's that time. Maybe it's that time to act. Maybe it's that time to come to realize that, yeah, life's going to happen and there's going to be all these situations that's going to come at you. But maybe, just maybe, there's no more waiting for daylight. And stop putting it off and act on what it is that God's calling you to do. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word, your spirit to guide us and lead us, Lord. And we just know that, that without you, we're lost, God. Just uh, be with us uh, throughout the day. Help us to, to be uh, sensitive, God, to be aware of what it is, God, that you require, what it is that you're calling us to do, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.